Hi, I'm Adam Walton, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molle. And every week I speak to players, coaches, trainers, and people working at the highest level of tennis. Today I speak to Adam Walton, who has recently made an impactful start to his pro career with two Futures wins, followed by a semi-final recently. Adam is about to finish his Masters at the University of Tennessee, where he was a four-time All-American, number two ranked singles player, and NCAA doubles champion, as well as number one ranked doubles player. We chat about his decision to go to college, his college days, dealing with pressure on the court and balance off the court, finding belief in himself as well as what motivates him. It's a short, impactful episode. As usual, a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Slinger, who make the awesome portable ball machine, the Slinger Bag. You won't find a better portable ball machine on the market. If you have any questions about it, feel free to reach out to me as I'm an avid user, or you can head over to slingerbag.com to get more info. Next week, I begin a year-long mini-series with Adam's old teammate, Connor Gannon, who we had on the show earlier this year. I'm going to be checking in with Connor every two to four weeks to see how his US college journey is going and to see how he progresses and keep you guys updated. Finally, if you enjoy this episode, please share it with your tennis family as it helps give more awareness to this podcast. Okay, here's Adam. Hi, Adam. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you. A lot of congrats for you. Congrats on your great college career. Congrats on your quick transition to the Pro Tour. How are you feeling right now? I know you've come off a run of two Futures wins and a future Semis. That's quite impressive. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a good start. Went to Texas as an alternate. I asked for a wild card into the qualifying, but did not get one. You know, I had housing there, so I took the chance on a flight, and I think I was like the third or fourth alternate, and the qualies draw came out, and I ended up getting in the qualies draw, and then, yeah, went all the way to win it. And then from there, obviously got a special exempt into Cancun because I was late in the qualies there, ended up winning that one too, which gave me a special into the next one, which I ended up making a semi. So it really panned out way better than I thought it was going to pan out, that's for sure. That's that's really impressive. And did you play many Futures while you were in university over the past four or five years? No, I didn't play many. I played uh, a little bit before COVID hit. And then post-COVID, I lost my ranking because UTR came out with these big, big money tournaments like that sort of had my interest. And so through the last two years, I've sort of neglected the futures because I was in college and played them money tournaments instead. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's nice to come out of college and just be able to hit the pro tour hard. And like, what are you up to about mid 600s already in a few weeks? That's yeah, I think mid 600s. Yeah, that's good. Okay, well, let's throw it back. I did have, I spoke to Connor Gannon, one of your teammates from last year on the show. Now his episode goes out the week after yours, even though I spoke to him yesterday. So he's saying how much of a good guy you are. What he did say was that when you went to university, you actually, it was really late decision. It was made just before the, the year started. Tell me, what was your thoughts as a junior and your tennis career before you decided to go to university? Yes, I went to boarding school and from there, I thought I could just turn pro. I got up to about 60 in the world, juniors. And then I was still in my last year of juniors. 
the year I committed to college and went to college. So I was kind of young, but I thought I could do it and realized that I couldn't do it. I was just not good enough. And I was really uh, looking for a change because I sort of went on a bit of a down patch. I lost maybe five or six matches in a row. Wasn't really enjoying the current the current situation and wanted to change things. And I knew that obviously schooling was important. I thought all of a sudden to come to the United States and there was a rich Australian tradition at Tennessee, as well as my coach went to Tennessee and was the head coach at Tennessee for a little bit. So he really edged me to commit to Tennessee despite us actually being ranked like 46 at the time of my commitment. Okay, great. Well, there were some great improvements there, but on your age group back in Australia, what other players were a similar age to you that went straight to pro? I was in a pretty strong age group. So I had uh, Alexi Popper and Alex Dimonor. Blake Ellis was another good junior who hit it off pretty well in the pros at an early age. So I was in a pretty, pretty strong field where I was never one of them top tier as well as as good as them guys anyway. Did you directly compare yourself to them and say, okay, well, I'm not that level. I'm going to, university is the best route for me. Yeah, I was not, you know, in the top three. I was, as a 14 and 16 year old outside the top 10 in Australia for my age group, I never really got into it. And then I knew once I got to the 16 age group, I started winning some uh, ITF events, just like, you know, within Australia and locally. Fiji, I won one. And so then my ITF ranking climbed as well as my national rank. And I think my career high was around 17 years old. I think I maybe got to four. Okay. And so, okay, so first year in Tennessee, from what I've heard, you learned a bit in first year and then you really excelled after that. What did you learn in the first year and what changed, like what belief, what gave you belief to say you could be one of the best players in the US college system? Yeah, I came into uh, college pretty ordinary. You know, I was at a team that was ranked mid-40s. We weren't, you know, competing for titles. The culture was a little different. They were good guys, but they weren't, you know, thinking professional tennis. I remember my my first year, I played mid-lineup for, you know, a team that was, you know, we were okay. I learned a lot. I didn't didn't have my, my best year. I won some, I lost some. I was in and out of the ITA rankings as a freshman, not, not never ranked very high. And it was also Chris Woodruff's first year as head coach. So there was just a massive change with it, with it all. We had a new strength coach. So the old guys also had to adjust to the new system. And then I was coming in, so I was adjusting to the new system. You know, studying and, and playing at the same time, it was a bit of a, an adjustment at the start. I'd never really had that much on my plate before. So I realized how well I had to deal with time management. And, you know, it just, it took time. It took me a whole year to sort of figure it out. And then, you know, went home for the summer, which is our winter. And then I came back my sophomore year and, you know, we got some good players in and that's when we really started to excel as a team and myself individually. What was it really that made you excel? Obviously, you're putting into work, you got your routines down, but where did the real belief come from? Yeah, I think just purely hard work. I, I learned that you know, I was a talented kid, but I wasn't as talented as other kids. And I realized that I could beat some of these guys just purely by how hard we've worked because we started to really ramp up the, the training. My, my fall of my sophomore year, the workouts were really tough in the fall. We would put some long practices in and I really felt like I was getting more comfortable on the court. My transition, you know, going from just putting the ball in to, you know, trying to construct the point a little bit more. And, you know, I just saw massive leaps in my game. And then I feel like once you get some good wins under your belt, you really believe that you can beat anyone. Because I remember as a freshman, you know, I was playing guys four or five years older than me and I just thought I couldn't beat them. But then, you know, 
sort of by my second year, I was like, okay, these guys, they're a little older, but they're not that much older. And I really think I can match it with them. So that's sort of what gave me my belief. I reckon in your first year, there is a bit of a physical difference where you're, you know, you're an eight, 17, 18 year old, you're a scrawny little kid. And these guys have been pumping weights for a few years and a lot more volume work. So yeah, that's great. It, it gives a lot of hope to other players who go over there. And you know, the first year, you're not going to break records in your first year. You just need to be patient. Like, how would you describe, you went, you played three or four for your first year. You know, you, you knew you could do that. Connor went, he was, you know, struggling for his place at six. And that's a different sort of pressure. What advice do you have for other players to help them? Let's say people want to go to States to help them pick the right college to make sure they get enough, you know, to get that balance between playing enough and not being under pressure. Yeah, it, it's definitely a tough balance because a lot of kids coming in, including myself, wanted to go to a school that was the best school they could get into because they wanted to go to a team that was ranked really well and their team was having success. But they're sort of forgetting the fact that lineup pressure is a big thing. Whereas I was kind of the opposite. I, you know, picked a school. I could have gone to highest, higher ranked school, but I picked a school and lineup pressure really wasn't a thing. So I, I was not so good as a freshman, but yet I was still playing middle of the lineup because our team was ranked not very high. So, I never had that, so I really think uh, I really think selection of school is is really important. If you're someone who likes to, you know, have that lineup pressure and is okay with playing some, not playing other matches, then go to a top school. But honestly, for me, what worked out best was coming into a school where I knew I would play mid lineup. You know, even if I lost, knew that there was no lineup pressure as such of me getting put out of the lineup. And then if the school grows, get better. You became an integral part of the team. Right, right. So I feel that I have helped build that culture. So I, yeah. I, you know, I got better every year and as new players come in, we were, you know, as your team gets better, you're able to recruit better players. You know, use Connor, for example, he was no, he was probably just as good as I was as a freshman, but he was struggling to make the lineup just because we were, a, you know, top five team. So I, you know, had I gone to a top five team, I would have struggled to play in the lineup my first year too. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And so as you went to second, third, fourth year there, you, you played number one. How did you ultimately deal with pressure? Now you have the pressure lineup of your number one. You're expected to win every week and coach Rudolph on your ass if you don't. Playing one is, uh, it's just a different level. You know, I, I played mid lineup my first year and I, I realized that level there. And I really think there's a big, big level difference from mid lineup and then, you know, playing one and two. The guys, even at schools that are not as high ranked, they usually have a good one and two. So, you know, you're, you're playing a, a futures to a challenger level match every single week. And so I feel like you're building that match tough, match toughness. And like you said, pressure is, is everything and, and how you can deal with that pressure is ultimately if you can play high in the lineup or not. This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. That purpose is also in their name. ASICS is an acronym which means Anime Sano Incorporate Sano, a Latin phrase meaning sound mind, sound body. Today, the brand is still dedicated to that founding belief of demonstrating the positive effects sport and movement can have on our mental well-being all over the world. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever, which includes the new Court FF3 Novak, the shoe designed from the ground up with the help of Novak Djokovic. Get your pair now at asics.com. Obviously, there's the pressure that how do you handle it all? You're doing your you're undergrad. I know you changed to a master's. You know, you have a girlfriend, everything else going on. How do you manage that with the pressure also? 
Yeah, I, I tr try not to think about the matches uh, until the day of. I really feel like that helps. I know my first year I was struggled a little bit with the pressure. I would think about the match a little bit too much, but I try to keep myself busy and, and, and try to keep my mind not completely focused on the match until the day of. And then, you know, just trusted my hard work and, you know, trusted the coaches. And you can see some guys, they practice a lot better than they train. I'm probably the complete opposite in training. I'm, I'm not the best. But, you know, when it comes match day, I really feel like, you know, I can get the most out of myself for sure. Nice. And Connor asked me to ask you, what motivates you? Yeah, you do go through patches where you're really motivated and, and not so motivated. But, um, you know, I just tried to get a little bit better every day. Uh, that was probably the, my main motivation. You know, I didn't have aspirations of really going pro after my first year. I just thought I wasn't good enough. And then, you know, each year I got a little bit better, a little higher in the rankings and uh, really thought it may, may be possible and I should give it a shot. And once you're thinking professional tennis, you really try try to do the little things right. So I was just, you know, trying to trying to do the little things it, uh, right each day. Nice. And obviously you just said there, you know, initially you thought you weren't going to go pro. What, what did you think your career was going to be if you weren't a pro tennis player? Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't really think about that. I did kinesiology as an undergrad, so probably something in the boarding realm I would have stayed in, which, you know, I still might stay in. I'm doing my master's in human resource management in the business school. Maybe post-professional career, I'll get into something in the business realm. I'm really un unsure right now. So You're nearly finished your master's, are you? Right. I got two more weeks uh, and then I'm done. So I've been this summer doing it online as well as playing center. It's been a challenge. So what's the plan now that you have two more weeks to go? Are you going to just futures all the way until you get to challengers, all tennis? Yeah, so I'm going next month to Cancun for three weeks before heading back at the end of August to Australia. And then we have a massive Australian swing of 25Ks uh, in September, October. And then there's some challenges that if I perform well, I hopefully can have a run in them challenges. And then around November, I'll come back to the States. We have our Knoxville Challenger mid-November. Hopefully I can play that, stay here for Thanksgiving, and then hopefully get ready for the Australian summer. Nice. And you talk about going home. You've been away from your parents since you're about 14. How tough has That's that correct. been to be so far away? Yeah, you, you learn your independence pretty quickly. I uh, went to boarding school and didn't know a lot, hadn't lived away from my parents, but it taught me to grow up. It taught me to be not so picky with what I ate because if you didn't eat, you <laughs> were hungry. I felt like that really matured me up a lot. I was having to catch a train from school to training and then a train back. So, you know, I was learning all these things on my own, you know, how to book a flight, how to do all these sort of things. You know, when I came to the US, it wasn't as big of a change. It was just the fact that it was, you know, now the other side of the world instead of a couple of hours plane ride. Great. That's, that's interesting. It makes so many kids go to the States and they're homesick straight away and they want to come home and they struggle. There's a big advantage. But uh, you're celebrated. American tennis college athlete with four-time All-American, NCAA doubles champ, ranked two singles. I actually don't know of all the times I've spoken to college tennis players and own friends going there. What is an All-American? To get All-American status, it's, I think, uh, the highest status you can achieve as a sporting athlete. So I know in tennis, in singles, you've got to finish, I believe it's top 16 in the, in the final rankings, or you make the I think it's quarters of the NCAAs, or I'm actually not sure. I think it's, or you could be seeded at the tournament. If you're seeded at the NCAA tournament, you're also All-American. And then I know in doubles, 
you've got to be a top eight seed in the tournament or finish top 10 in the rankings. And if you do that, yeah, you get the status. So I ended up getting, yeah, singles and doubles my last two years. And it's just, a, it's just a title. Is that all it is? There's no, nothing else. We harp on it a lot in uh, our, our program because we actually have, if you get the status, you get a big banner that goes put up in the uh, indoor building. Okay. And so your, your banner will hang forever as an All-American. And it, it's pretty cool to see when you go in the indoor center, all the All-Americans with their banners. And so it's one of the best achievements you can get in, in college tennis, I would say. Great. So if anybody goes to Tennessee, they'll see you hanging up in the indoor center. That's great. Yeah. And <laughs> looking back at all the matches you played in college tennis, what's the one that stands out the most for you that you tell, you'll tell the grandchildren about? Yeah, I had a lot of good matches in college. Uh, really, my sophomore year when we played Florida in the semifinals of the SEC tournament, I was playing line two and I you know, won that match. It was a 3-3 match, semifinals of the SEC we were playing Florida. I think they were ranked two in the country, number one seeds in the SEC tournament. And yeah, I was the clinch match. And, you know, to do that as a sophomore and clinch ourselves into the final was probably my most memorable match that I'd competed in in college. But I, I had a bunch for sure. Nice. I'm sure you did. You won about 120 matches or so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Singles, I think. Is that singles? Yeah, singles and then doubles like, was maybe just over 100. Well, that's, that's a lot of matches. And it really means you're stepping out onto the pro tour with a lot of game behind you, a lot of confidence. Last question, how long are you going to give? Do you have any time frame in your head or it's just you don't know? Yeah, that's a good question. I uh, I set some mini goals for myself, but you know, I didn't think I would start as well as I did because now I'm actually out of qualifying for the futures. I thought I would be in qualifying for maybe a couple of months before I'd you know, solidify my ranking to a point where I would be in main draw every week. So you know, I actually had a pretty pretty low goal by the end of the year that I've almost already hit. So, you know, I kind of have to reevaluate now after the road trip I've just done and set some new goals. I do want to, you know, at least give it 12 months, but, you know, potentially more too, because I have a 52-week free roll of points, so I don't have anything to defend for a whole year. So it's just, it's just gain for a whole year. And then, you know, we'll see where we're at and we'll, we'll reevaluate for sure. And will you, will you be traveling with a coach or is it just by yourself for the next while? So next month I'll be on my own to Mexico. But then once I'm in Australia, the federation there is, is going to help me out with some coach support. And then, uh, yeah, we, we will go from there and see what the next year holds. Let your results do the talking and everything will follow. Adam. Thank you very much for jumping on there. That's a lot of great info and a great story. So best of luck with the next 12 months. I appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Adam. He's moving quickly up the rankings. Keep your eye on him. I think he's going to do really well, really quickly. And stay tuned for the first part of our new mini series with Adam's former teammate, Connor Gannett, next week.